to the Red Dog Road Podcast, a program for people seeking a deeper perspective on the outdoors, sports, and personal performance. And now, here is your host, Nick Pinizzato. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Red Dog Road Podcast. This is episode 10, Turkey Hunting Blunders. And this is one that we're not going to have to think too hard about because uh, just in the times that Mike and I have hunted together, we have a lot of blunders we can talk about. And I've had some personal ones where Mike wasn't around and I'm assuming he's had some of those as well. So we're not going to get into, yeah, hey, we, we might, yeah, maybe we know enough about this that we could share a turkey hunting tip or two, but uh, this is going to be more more about having some fun and laughing at ourselves. And that's something that we're quite good at. And with us here again this evening is our co-host, Mr. Mike Groman. Mike, how you doing tonight? I'm doing very good. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. You know, it's it's funny as we get into the summer months and you and I talked about scheduling and uh, getting on the line here with each other. My biggest issue is typically getting my son to bed. And then tonight you were, I think you were getting some, bringing some dirt home or whatever, doing some yard work. So uh, it's, I think it's going to be even more challenging to try to pull these things off. You're right. The summer for me, at least, becomes a very busy time trying to hold down two separate properties and it really spreads you thin. Yeah. And I'm looking out in my yard and frankly, I could have cut my grass probably a week and a half ago, but we've had so much rain that it's it's really too wet. It's it's just like walking on a sponge out there. So it's too wet to go out and even cut the grass. So by the time it's able to be cut, I might, I might have to have a brush hog in here to, to thin it down first. You're right. This this really has been an odd spring. We've had snow, rain, and ice. It's just been very difficult to get started outside. Yeah, we had a couple of days in the 60s here, but it was too wet to, to get out and cut the grass. And then it got cold again. And in the last two mornings, I woke up and there's snow flurries out there. Although it ended up being a pretty decent day today, but it's just been a really odd spring to your point, Mike. And I know with we're going to be talking about turkeys here in a second, but with turkey season coming up, we had I had gone out and put a couple blinds out. I think I mentioned this a couple episodes ago, and I told my wife I said I better get back out there and see if they held up in those windstorms. And one of my blinds, I have this old Primos blind that has I think I've had that thing. Well, it was before I left Pennsylvania, so it's probably seven or eight years old, and it's it held up fine. And I've got this other Cabela's blind that I've only had for three years, and of course it was all destroyed, and the poles were snapped, and oh, so. Yeah, it's going to go right in the garbage can. You and can't salvage anything from it? You really can't. I mean, I, I I might be able to, I guess I could maybe find some, look around and try to find some tent poles or something like that. But you know how these things all are built and go together. I just think it'd be more hassle than to bother, bother doing it. So there's a, there's a turkey blunder <laughs> before I even get out into turkey hunting. So anyway, uh, yeah, you, you're, you're busy. You're getting... I assume getting ready for finals and and all of that. Yeah, it's been a busy week. We've we finish up for my own schooling here on the twenty second is when my last assignment has to be posted by. I'm I'm done with it. I'm just waiting to. We have to do this closing, this summary of this assignment, and so it does pivot on other people in my group to comment and. Then I have to go back and do this review of their comments in a final summary. So once that's done, I just strictly focus on my students and we have lab practicals coming up next week. So they're very stressed about that. That's where we put them in a situation that is 
closely mimics real patient care as possible. And uh, that culminates their semester. And then they move on to finals themselves. And then for me, I'm off to, after that, New Hampshire, uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, I am presenting at a conference. So it's going to be a pretty busy couple weeks for me. How about you? Yeah, well, that sounds sounds good to go up to Portsmouth. That'll be that'll be a nice trip, and hopefully the weather. Who knows? It could still be snowing up there at that point. But um, yeah, I think for me, it's been busy on the work front. We've got a lot going on this week with deer issues and chronic wasting disease not going away anytime soon. So it's been busy there. I've been kind of working out like crazy. I don't think I've missed a day for quite a while, trying to take advantage of these little windows and nice weather and. Although this morning it was cold, I ended up being on the treadmill, which I, I hate doing that, but uh, just forcing myself to to stay with it and keep myself in shape and then uh, getting ready for a trip to DC here uh, coming up next week for some meetings that I have. So I think for the most part, it's just kind of been life and business as usual here and looking forward to having a real spring here at some point. When it does get here. Yeah, when it does get here. So... Uh, but we're going to talk today, Mike, about turkey blunders. And before we jump into that, let's go ahead and take our walk down Red Dog Road. So for the last few episodes, I think we have talked about this idea of removing barriers from your life, things that get in the way of what you want to accomplish. And for me, we talked about social media. And how I've really scaled back from that. And that's been very helpful and a blessing. And another thing I want to talk about is, and this is something uh, I, I've encountered recently coming back from a business trip. And that is this idea of getting toxic people out of your life. Because toxic people can be every much as a barrier as anything else can be, maybe even worse, for example. So I'm talking about the people that they can they kind of try to control you they don't have any dis, have any regard for your boundaries uh another big thing is uh they want to tell you about all of their issues and all of their problems but they never ask you you know how are things in your life how are things going that way um people that always tend to be right uh they're not honest they're just these people that frankly they're energy drainers instead of energy givers and we all, we have these people in different aspects of our life. Sometimes it's family members and it's a little bit harder to get away from those people because you have some responsibility there, but it could be colleagues or it could be coworkers or, or frankly, it could just be uh, the random, it could be a neighbor, the random person that you know. And I, I think the, the point I'm making here is don't let those people bring you down because that's what they want to do. They want to drain your energy that frankly, they gain their energy from draining your energy, and it just totally takes your focus away from the types of things you want to do and accomplish. And the next thing you know, it's very easy to go down that same path. The other, the other side of that is, and this isn't new advice, but it's just a reminder to instead surround yourself with people who you look up to or people that you think uh, can be energy givers for you. I'm not saying drain their energy, but you want to spend your time being around people that are good influencers, people that say, you know what, you can do this, and as opposed to the people that say, well, do you really want to do that? Or do you really think that's something you're capable of doing? So it's, you know, recharge the batteries with those types of people. And it, it could just be a friend, it could be a coworker, uh, what have you. And I think you're going to find if you, if you start doing that, life's going to be a lot better for you. I can tell you that anytime I've ever eliminated a toxic person from my life, 
I have never gone back and said, you know what? I really would wish that person was back in my life. Instead, what I tell myself is, you know what? I wish I'd have done that a lot sooner. So uh, this week's walk down Red Dog Road is get toxic people out of the way, bring energizers into your life. And Mike, I'm assuming you've had many examples of this in your life as well. I have. And, and the strange thing is, for at least from my perspective, is there's no really great formula to deal with that. It's a very hard process for whatever reason it might be. And I don't know if it's just the type of people that we are, you hate to turn your back on somebody, but there is a point when you realize that it is the best thing for you and something that you will, you might not see the benefit initially, but there definitely will be a benefit once you reflect back on that process or, or that relationship. But you are right in regards to how these people can really feed off of your misery or sorrow. And they tend to fan the flames of that so that they can continue to serve a purpose. And that purpose is usually a negative one. It is. And really, I just was reading some an interesting article on this the other day as well, because it was something I wanted to talk about. And this person said, Sometimes you see people just use Facebook for an example, and there's a feature there where you can you can still be their friend, but you just block what they're saying. And the author of this article was saying, you don't even do that. You need to just eliminate the person because anytime you see see the name of that person, you have those negative feelings, and it just takes away from you. So it was, it was basically saying, don't dip your toe in the water. These people are bad influencers. Uh, drop them out of your life because they're not going to help you. So. I thought that was good guidance and it reminded me, uh, I encountered some people like that recently at this uh, at this work event I was at and it, this was just a good reminder to me and I thought it would be something that our listeners would appreciate. And speaking of toxic people, as we end our walk down Red Dog Road for this week, Mike, I'm going to assume that whenever you kind of took me under your wing, so to speak, when it came to turkey hunting, I think in some ways I probably was a toxic personality around you as someone who had a lot more experience and knew what the heck they were doing. No, I wouldn't look at it that way. I mean, I, and I don't know, everyone has a different definition of that. So I guess we shouldn't dictate what is toxic to the listener out there, to you out there. But for me, you, you've known me for a long time and it's, it's so strange now that actually I'm sitting here as a quote unquote teacher, but I always enjoyed teaching people or sharing what I knew and you, you know, and I, I mean, I'm not going, obviously for this segment, we shouldn't be mentioning any names, but you, you know, probably a couple people that we share uh, as friends or acquaintances that I think we've kind of, and I'm, it's, it's hard to kind of get this conversation out because you have to think two minutes ahead of what you're going to say. <laughs> but there's been times that I think that you have called me because somebody that, you know, we, we might've known together was pulling you down and I've reciprocated that by calling you and saying, can you believe this? And to be honest with you, it's really hard to cut those strings with people when you have a specific type of a personality where you want to help and you want to nurture and you, you're hoping to maybe try and save these individuals, but I would never classify you as a toxic personality. When you first started Turkey hunt, I know that the situations that we're going to probably be talking about knocked you down a couple pegs because it was hard because what you did is you were actually looking at 
what I was thinking because like, as you say, like, well, he had to get up early. He came the whole way over here to hunt with me. But as you and I have had conversations now, that is probably even more important is the, the hunting with somebody. I mean, and I know you and I just mentioned a second ago that, you know, well, we really want to start hunting together again, because that is, a is I think a lot more fun than the getting part of it. So I had a ball when we first started turkey hunting together, it was, it was really a lot of fun because we had action. It would be different if we walked or we, you know, did some running and gunning and you did it day in and day out and you never heard a bird, but almost every single time we went out, we were, we were having action. So that just like with children, you want to have them have some excitement or some action to foster their willingness to continue to participate. And that I think is how it worked out for us when we first, you know, got you, maybe back into turkey because you were you had experience it's just you, you were kind of coming back to the fold yeah i had shot turkeys before that but it wasn't because i necessarily i mean you can you can luck into things and i think that's probably how i shot my birds before that but um no i think your point is is a good one and that is it's really about the experiences and that's why i wanted to talk about blunders because with turkey hunting in particular you've got these animals that have a brain the size of a, a pea, frankly, maybe a little bit bigger than that, but yet they can really make fools out of you. And maybe it's because they just think so simply, so simply, you know, eat, breed, sleep, avoid danger that we overthink what we're doing. But uh, I, I wanted to get into just some stories of, of things that have happened. Frankly, or it can be things that we did on our own or things that we did when we were together. And um, one in particular, Mike, that that I want to bring up. And this is, well, let's, even before that, I was struggling to fully commit to being a real turkey hunter. I was pretty much a deer hunter with a bow and arrow. And so I didn't have a decent gun. And um, I just failed to see the importance of it. And I remember this one particular hunt, well, this, this, the gun that I had had actually failed me twice. It was a gun. It was an old, I think it was a Savage model. It was a pump action. 12 gauge, but I got it from a guy who I tied a bunch of flies for, for fishing. And he traded me the gun for the fly. So that tells you uh, how good of a gun this probably was. But yeah, well, I think it was probably more the former than the latter, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. But uh, at any rate, I had had the gun fail me one other time where I, I went out there and I saw some turkey tracks. They were in the snow and I, and I, called this bird he come right in and i didn't have the action slammed shut so i couldn't shoot him but this is one where uh, if you'll recall this mike you and i got a bird to talk it was way down over the hill from where we were and for whatever reason i was having a little bit of luck calling and this bird was responding to me and you and i had set up in this beautiful setup and we watched this big gobbler walk out of range but he walked up above us and he got up above us and started gobbling and so we're like, what the heck? So we decided we needed to go to him. And it was sort of this cat and mouse game. And you're trying to film this thing. And we finally get to the point where you're like, okay, I have him in view. And I had him right there to shoot, all spanned out right in front of me. And I, I'm pulling the trigger on that gun. And I forgot how stiff the trigger was. And when I went to yank the, to pull the trigger, <laughs> I, I lowered the gun off the bird and ended up just blowing dirt and everything else all over this bird that we had worked for the better part of an hour. Uh, and then, and then I think on top of that, the thing flies right over our heads and I try to take another shot at it and end up taking out half the treetops. So 
Uh, do you remember that incident? And the surprising thing is, is I still believe I have that hunt on video. I have not thrown away those, um, those little digital DV tapes that we used all those years ago when we, when we were recording. Well, I don't know if I want to see it or not, because I don't know if I'll laugh or I'll cry. Because if I remember right, I, first of all, I was so proud at the distance that, and I did the most of the calling on that. And you're right. That bird, for some reason, and not that it's like a negative thing, but he wanted to hear your call because if you remember, I mean, all morning I was trying to raise a bird and I couldn't get a peep out of anything. And then you said, well, let me just try. And we were, we were only two feet apart. I called down into this valley and it was silence. And then you call and then the bird responded and he started to work almost immediately. So it was, it was really a testament to you. I mean, you, you, if I wasn't there just filming, cause that's really at, at that point, all I was doing, you were technically hunting that bird. Yeah, it, it was. And I did everything right except for finishing the deal. And now it's all on video. And uh, yeah, maybe at some point you can put that together and we'll share it with the audience here. But um, so that, that was one that definitely stood out to me. And maybe you want to talk about the time that, that uh, you, I, and Chris were up there trying to film this big old grizzly bird behind the house. Oh, that was out of all the hunts I've probably had, that's got to be in my top five because that was in in my mind, that was turkey hunting right there because it wasn't easy. We had set up on that bird specifically three different times where we had to move and swing around and we were trying to get ahead of him. And I think we mentioned this a couple podcasts back where it's, it comes down to knowing the terrain and those turkeys that you're out there hunting live and breathe and feed and try and survive out there day in and day out 365, 24 seven. And the only advantage we have as hunters is trying to know that terrain as close to as well as we possibly can, which is not anywhere near what they can do. But we kept asking, and if you recall, I kept turning back to you and saying, where is he going to come up over? Because we finally got high ground on him, which was what we were trying to achieve. But it was a very thin finger of a ridge. And we were trying to figure out where he was going to come up over to get you in the correct position to make a shot. And we just chose incorrectly. But I, I will have to tell everybody listening out there that was it was the, it was a pleasure for, to because that bird was very vocal. He was, he was, he wanted everything that we were giving him and he was probably one of the biggest gobblers I have ever had the pleasure to work in my life. And we did call him in to the point where I could get him on video, but you never had the shot. Chris was off to the side as well. Cause we were, we were team calling him to really try and sound like a flock of hens up on that Ridge. And we called him away or we called his hens up with him. And, uh, it's just, we didn't close the deal but it still is one of my top five favorite turkey hunts of all time. Yeah, I'll never forget it. I remember seeing the bird come up over the hill and I think he was even missing a tail feather or two. He was so kind of old and beat up. He was an old warrior for sure, but it was a great, that was a great, great hunt, but another blunder because there we are trying to film it. And when I did have a shot, we didn't have video. And whenever you had video, I didn't have a shot. And you know that going in with the camera and it's just one of the things you deal with. And, you know, on that same ridge, I had so many things happen on that stinking little ridge behind the house there. 
um, I'm thinking of another one, and this is one where I was hunting solo, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I told you about this. And while I'm telling this story, I'm looking over my shoulder and looking at this exact bird that I'm telling the story about. He's mounted on my wall. So I will tell you, I did eventually get that sucker. And I, uh, and, but this is a bird that terrorized me for two years behind my house because he loved to gobble. I mean, he just consistently would gobble no matter what. And I kept one thing after another would happen. I would I would either somehow he'd bust me or one time he I'm calling him. He came in behind me and I didn't know he was there and he gobbled and just about uh, gave me a heart attack. And then this one evening I knew where he was roosted and I, I told my wife the night before I said, tomorrow's the morning. I know exactly where to go. I know where he's going to be. And of course, when you're going into the woods, it's it's always it's dark and it doesn't look quite the same as what it does during daylight for sure. So I go sneaking up into the woods behind the house. And I'm, I'm literally probably a hundred yards from my house. I can see my house from where I'm setting up and I get situated under the tree and it's, I'm just waiting. I'm like this bird. He always talks. He always talks. And then pretty soon I, I just start hearing things falling out of the tree. I'm like, what is there like a raccoon or something up there? And I look up straight up in the tree I'm sitting under and there's the silhouette of this gobbler standing on the tree limb right in the same tree that I was set up in. And of all the luck, so of course I thought, well, maybe he didn't see me. I'll just sit here and freeze and he'll fly right down. And 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 this bird sat up there and he gobbled on that roost for a good 15 minutes. And I'm just waiting for him to fly down. And of course, when he does pitch down, he pitched clean down across the hillside. He must have clearly seen me. But uh, that was just another time that that bird uh, eluded me. And I think maybe I'll close with the story about how I finally got him. But that was a that was a blooper I'll never forget. And everyone's had those situations. When I first started turkey hunt, I had a, a similar situation in a, a hunting piece of hunting ground that we call McCormick Mansion, which is uh, a place familiar to Nick and I where we grew up and went to school. But they were one of the first places, or this property was one of the first places that had turkeys. And it's where I cut my teeth on them. And I would be down there on a Friday night roosting turkeys for a Saturday morning and one morning I heard these birds gobbling as they were coming to roost. They pitched up. I could actually see them because there wasn't a lot of foliage on the trees. And I thought, tomorrow's the day. And I go the next morning. I sneak in. I did. I don't think I actually even broke a blade of grass. It was. I was so quiet. I sit down. And one of my techniques is I never call until they do. Once they wake up, then I'll start to work them a little bit. But I sat there quietly. And like you said, the first thing I heard was them wake up and gobble I, and it about I about jumped out of my skin and they were in the tree right above me and I don't know how and I, I will tell you I saw them fly up and I believe that in people can either confirm or deny this but I believe turkeys hop trees at night I believe they move around a little bit they walk limbs and jump and, and skip and hop because I know where I saw them go up and I did I definitely was at least 75 yards away from where they flew up and then they were wound up being over top of me so um we all have those things and that's how we learn if you actually learn from those mistakes. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could probably sit here all night and tell you stories about me messing up and, and it's just part of it. It certainly makes you appreciate the times you're successful because I remember when I finally did get that bird that I was talking about a second ago, I was so proud of that thing. I, I, I think I was more proud of that Turkey than I was of any deer I'd ever shot because I had worked so hard to finally pull it off. But I, I will close with that story. I'll tell another one that this involves something that happened before I even got to the woods. Now, a much longer story, which I'm, I'm not going to tell. I've 
I've since become, I think, a, a pretty decent turkey hunter. I've got I've got my grand slam. I've shot birds all over the country in all different conditions, and I I feel like now I am pretty seasoned and uh, just had a lot of success. So I don't even get have anxiety about it anymore. I expect that I'll get my birds when I go. So I've I've come a long way. And as part of that process, a few years ago, um, as I was starting to feel like I was getting pretty good at this thing, I decided I was going to invest in some in really good decoys. And so I went out and bought some Dave Smith decoys. Now these are, if you're not familiar with those, look them up, but they're very realistic and they're also very expensive. But it was an investment I was willing to make and I bought, excuse me, I bought the whole, uh, at the time what they called the flock. And it comes with... Uh, one bedded hen for breeding, a Jake, and two other satellite hens. So I, I had just purchased these things, and they're a few hundred dollars. I don't remember what the total price tag was, but I'm a serious turkey hunter now, so I had to have these things. And and by the way, it's I've, I've became an even better turkey hunter after I bought them, I noticed. So I think it's probably the decoys more than me. But at any rate, so I'm going out opening morning in Ohio. So excited to take these decoys and put them out there and uh, just finally get them in the field and I get all the way out to the farm and the farm I hunt is 40, about 40 miles or 40 minutes away from where I live. So it's a good drive. It's a commitment, especially early in the morning when you're trying to get out there before daylight. And I get to the gate of the farm and go to open the gate. And all of a sudden it dawns on me that I don't have my decoys. And as a matter of fact, the reason I didn't have them is because I had set them on my tonneau cover of the back of my truck in the garage and never put them in the truck. So now I'm thinking, did I actually pull out of my garage with these turkey decoys on the back and they could be laying on the highway somewhere before they were ever even used? <laughs> so I'm in a panic, right? I mean, these I, I immediately call my wife. I'm like, sweetheart, you know I do a lot of dumb crap. Uh, but I need you, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm flying home. And in the meantime, if you could kind of come my direction and just look along the sides of the road to see if you happen to see these decoys, because believe it or not, I left them on the bed of my truck. And so I'm flying home. And then sure enough, about 10 minutes later, I get a phone call. And I, I don't, I think my wife was not even dressed for the day yet. <laughs> And she's out there probably in a nightgown or something similar. And here she was able to find them all in the road ditch on the main road, just whenever you leave the neighborhood we live in. And one of them had gotten run over at least once and it had a little crack in it, which I was able to fix. But the bottom line was several hundred dollars of Dave Smith decoys, brand new, before they ever even got into the field. I was within a whisker of never having hunted with them. And I think one of the saving graces was I live in the city of Columbus, and I just don't think there were too many turkey hunters that even knew what they were looking at when they drove by them. So I hope I don't ever do that one again, but that's a big blunder I'll never forget. <laughs> I love that story. That's it's, But not everyone out there you know, has had the relationship that you and I have had. And, and to me, I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty much par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would expect that out of me. And unfortunately, I expect it out of myself. And um, but yeah, I can tell you now when I take those decoys out, they're treated like gold. I mean, they sit in the front seat with me, <laughs> so, that I'm, so that I'm sure I sure that I don't forget them. And I've killed a lot of birds over them since I bought them. So, um, how about you, Mike? You got one more you want to share? Um, I'm going to share probably one of my biggest blunders, 
And it was again, when I was cutting my teeth, uh, I spent so much time working on learning how to call turkeys. I felt if I could call well, I, I'd walk them right to me, you know, like a chicken on a string. And I'd been practicing um, for years and I'd, I'd had a little bit of success and I was hunting the uh, game lands outside of Indiana and I was in college at the time. So I actually had the day off. We had a, uh, an early final in the week and I had time before my next final. I thought I'm going to go in, in turkey hunt for a little bit. So I ran home the night before and went out cold and it was a slow morning. I wasn't seeing or hearing anything and I was going through my normal routine and I get to this one spot and I decided I'm going to just try this call. I've been working on it. It was, it was called a fly down cackle. And, you know, guys, when you're using it midday, you just, just kind of cackle. And I decided I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out there. Why not? Cause no, nothing's going on. I've been throwing all my, the best stuff that I had at the time at them. I'm going to try this cackle. So I get myself settled. I wait for, you know, the right moment when I feel really good about myself and, and I throw this call out. And I wasn't even halfway through probably the third note. And I just hear a turkey rip right into my face. And I thought, holy crap, he's, he's got to be close. I was on this little open field saddle. So I hunker down and then I back down a little bit. And that's where I believe he can't see me. And I try and call again. I said, all right, I'm going to call one more time. And I, I go through my, just more of like a subtle call, like some yelps and clucks and nothing. I thought, well, I'll try that fly down cackle again. He seemed to like it. So I give it to him again and he rips me, cuts me right off again. I thought, okay, he's, he's good. I know where he's at. So I back down the field, run around to get where I think I can call him up to. And I come up on this gas line and I pick my spot and I'm all ready to go. And I have my decoy out in front of me. I said, this is going to be perfect. I start calling facing the way that he was supposed to be coming from. And he, he answers out in the field right where I was. I thought, oh no. <laughs> so I thought, okay. I, I said, I got this. Well, I looked and, and all the edge was all green briars, you know, and mul multiple rows. And I thought, well, there's no way. I said, I had to rip myself to get through there. I said, there's no way he can come in until where I came in. So I spun back around and faced the way that I came in, where I kind of had a little deer trail to kind of weave my way through put my decoy, moved it real quick, got back sitting on the tree. I said, I'm going to be quiet for a little bit. So I start calling and he doesn't answer. And I go, oh no, did he hear me moving around? I call again, nothing. And I said, okay, I'm just gonna be quiet for a while because he knows I'm here. He came that far, that fast. He's got to be around here. So I said, I'm just gonna wait. Well, I must've waited for about 10 minutes and you know, as well as I do, I am not the most patient person. And so I'm getting a little bit lackadaisical now. So now I start processing, what am I going to do? How am I going to try and raise this bird? And I'm, I'm really, really in a state of relaxation, but my mind is racing. And within three feet of my right eardrum, all I hear is this bird rip. And I tell you what, I think I peed a little bit, you know, it was, I was, I was just <laughs> shocked, you know, and what, what do you do when something, something like that is it's that loud? I could actually hear his chest rattling and it almost sounded like the top of a pressure cooker. It was like a, like a rattle with that gobble, you know? Well, what do I do? I, my hands flail. My gun falls down between my legs. I jump and turn in my seat and look at him and we're eye to eye. And it's, it was almost as like a cartoon where I know my eyes had to be as big as dinner plates. His eyes were about as big as baseballs. 
And I thought, holy crap, there he was a huge bird, big rope on him. Well, he goes running back down the gas. Well, he came in the woods back the way he was or where he came from. I grab my gun. I try and turn and shoot him. I wind up like tripping, hitting my elbow. I mean, it was a complete and total fiasco. I mean, if you would have had a camera on me, it, it would have been like it would have been like a hundred thousand dollar video clip, you know. Well, the one thing about turkeys that that I've learned, and I will probably, we'll, I think we'll close the show. Maybe you and I eat in a in a minute here. We'll we'll each maybe leave one of our best turkey tips. But um, one one would be though before we get to that point is that turkeys just have the snack of the minute you get impatient or the minute you let your guard down, that's when they give you the opportunity. And how many times I'm sure people listening have had this happen where. You climb out of your blind or you just decide to give up on a spot and stand up and there was the bird the whole time and you just watch him running away or flying away. Oh, yeah. It's I think that's might be one of their their extra senses, you know, just to kind of exploit our weaknesses or our weak moments. Yeah, not having patience in the turkey woods can be uh, can be difficult. And, and it's, I, I do want to tell the story quickly about this bird that I did eventually shoot and literally the next day after the bird was up in the tree above me and, and I blew that opportunity, I was so frustrated. I said, you know what I need to do? I need to go across the field. There was a field separating a, a patch of woods there. Mike, you'll, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. We had a phone call conversation about it. Yeah, that's right. And I said, I'm going to set up on that other side of the field and take my binoculars and I just want to glass over there and see where he's roosting, see where he flies down and see where he's headed. Because what I want to do then is then the next morning, my game plan is I'm going to go get ahead of that area and just wait on him. Now, maybe just give him a few purrs or whatever when he flies down and just let him come to me. And I almost didn't even take my gun. I didn't even take my gun that morning, which is another huge mistake. Don't ever make that mistake. But at the last second, I said, well, I better take my gun because you just never know. And I'm over there and I'm setting up and I'm sure enough, he starts gobbling and I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm looking over there and I have my binoculars and I, I could hear that he flew down. And then all of a sudden he stopped gobbling. I'm like, well, he never stops gobbling. What the heck's going on? So I'm looking and I'm looking and all of a sudden right behind me, he just opens up. And what he had done was he flew down and he crossed that field and came over to the side I was on. And this was an area I didn't even really have a place to set up. I was sitting against these little, these little seedling trees that provided almost no cover. So all I did was I just kind of spun around in my seat and slipped my call in my mouth. And I started just giving them a few little calls. And that bird turned around and he came right at me. And I think it was just that I was in a spot that I had never called him before. He was in a spot where he felt safe. And it all finally came together. And uh, by some miracle, that bird, I'm, I'm calling and he's right there. And pretty soon I see him pop his head up and he comes walking right up over the rise, just like you would see on television. And Lo and behold, I made the shot and that turkey is on my wall and I finally was able to claim victory. And even to this day, when I, I walk by him and see him standing there on his perch, I, I give him a little, give him a little side eye to side eye because I'm still irritated. But I, I, I give that bird credit for really, I think that bird taught me how to be a turkey hunter and because I had made so many mistakes on them before I finally got them. So in any way, at least that's kind of a happy ending. And uh, with that, Mike, I want to give you a chance to, what is your, if you could give the folks listening your number one turkey tip, and I hope you don't steal mine, but I'll, I'll, but if you do, I'll come up with another one. What would be your number one turkey tip for success? Mine would have to be at least what I'm using now is you, I almost be, have begun to scout turkeys like I'd scout deer. 
I don't, I mean, years ago we used to go out and you'd want to hear them. So you'd owl hoot to them, crow call in the morning. We, I was never a big fan of calling to them with hen calls to try and get them to answer because guys love to hear that gobble, especially preseason. They'd be out filming them because you were getting such a good show at that time of the year because, because the season in Pennsylvania sits a little bit later and it, that made those turkeys educated and even harder to call. And so for me, I scout my turkeys like I scout deer. I will sit there. I will, I'll never bring calls. I bring binoculars and I will just, like you said, morning after morning, I'd try and learn the routine, the direction they want to go. And when I call to them, I'd set up to maybe steer them a little bit off that normal path, but not much. I, you'll never get them to go 180 degrees. Um, so I guess for my biggest tip is, Almost scout them like you scout deer. Know what their habits are. Know what their routine is. And it'll make your calling a little bit easier. And I have a second one, but I'll wait and let you give yours. And then I'd like to come back and give one more because I think it could be really helpful to people. Yeah. And, and based on the tip that you just gave, if you'll recall, you and I killed a bird in a driving rainstorm because I had scouted them and knew how they were using this field edge. And you and I had just set up a blind and let the birds come right to us. And we shot a bird that morning. Uh, doing that. So that's a great tip. And uh, for me, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make and one of the things that has made me successful is don't overcall. I think for whatever reason, turkey hunters, they have a call in their hand or a call in their mouth and they just feel like that they have to use it. And what I have done over the years is I have, I, I try to take the temperature of the bird. So if the bird's really vocal, I'll be a little bit vocal with him at first as well. But especially on eastern birds. Now, you get into the Osceolas in Florida, I think they're about the easiest to kill. Though they've, they've never seen a decoy they didn't love, so they're pretty easy. And uh, the, the Rios is not real difficult, and neither really is the, the Miriams. I'd put the Miriams second. But the Easterns are the hardest. And one of the things I've learned, though, is if you can, out, if you can be a little bit more patient than they are, eventually they'll get frustrated and they're going to want to come looking. And I killed a really nice bird in Ohio two seasons ago where he was real vocal and I just got within range of him and I just gave him a little bit and he did not want to come. He didn't want to come. So the, the, the more he didn't want to come, the less I called to where I just quit calling altogether. And eventually I'm, I just got a smile on my face because I could see him working his way down to me. He finally couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't pinpoint my exact location. And I think that's key. If you, if you call a ton, they know exactly where you are. And if you don't think a turkey can't pick you out a couple hundred yards away in the woods, you're crazy. So you got to be mysterious, call less than you think you should. And I think that's going to put a lot more birds in your bag. That's, that's a great tip. I think that, uh, that's something that everybody can learn from. And, um, for me, for my final little, little tip there is if, if you're going to hunt, I know a lot of people might want to slip out for an hour or two before work, or if you don't have the full morning to commit to hunting, basically what I would um, tell you also is that if a bird does not want to engage you, does not want to have a conversation, I mean, quote unquote, if he's not hot, then we usually don't booger that bird up because you could maybe come back and potentially work him and harvest him a few days or a few weeks later if you don't educate him, if you go in there and you, you feel that anxiety of being rushed for cramp for time and you give him everything you have, you, you probably, and he never comes in, you don't, you don't harvest him that day. You'll probably never kill that bird that season. So uh, again, uh, uh, using, using your head, if, if you go in and you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a bird roosted from the night before where you can go in and do some of the subtle things that Nick is talking about, 
I wouldn't even bother educating that bird because nowadays it's all about those birds even though they don't have a large brain they are wired to survive and if something just doesn't feel right to them it's it's going to usually be a no-go and you're going to wind up losing and making that bird even harder to harvest yeah they can be even more sensitive to pressure than deer can be and that's a that's a great tip and you know the other the other thing too i'll slip one more in here and that is I've killed very few birds on the fly down. Like they come off the roost. I call them in and shoot them. I've killed very few that way. Most of the birds I've killed come after they've flown down and after they're, after the hens abandoned them about mid morning. So I think a lot of people give up too soon. I, I think if, if you don't get them right off the roost, be patient because the next best window to kill them is sometime between usually nine and 11 a.m. And that's when I've killed, killed most of my birds. So, uh, with that, Mike. We're going to wrap up the turkey blunders, even though we could we could probably have two or three episodes of this. And I know uh, I, my season opens in Ohio on Monday, but unfortunately, I've got four days in D.C. <laughs> that I have to be at for work. So it'll probably be Friday before I can go out. But I think you've got a youth hunt. Is it in New York this weekend? Yes. New York, uh, April 21st is my oldest daughter's birthday. Aaliyah turns 21 and youth turkey hunting season is uh, Saturday morning and Sunday morning. So after Dominic's lacrosse game at State College on Friday, we're going to hustle it up to New York and wake him up early the next morning and set him out in the woods and see how we do. Well, I wish you all the luck in the world. And for those of you listening out there, I've had great fun taking other people turkey hunting and I've called birds in for people and I get just as much enjoyment out of it whenever they get the birds or miss them or whatever. And I know uh, one of my favorite hunts is when my wife shot her turkey and uh, we just had a great experience out there and the whole thing was great. And I bring this up to say, if there was ever a season that really lent itself to taking a friend out hunting for the first time or a youth turkey hunting's it because even if you just hear the birds it'll hook people and then if you're able to get one to come in and they see it or even kill a bird you're going to have a hooked hunter for life and i always felt that turkey season was a great time to get people out there and uh, mike i know you've taken advantage of this youth season with uh with your kids over the years oh yeah i mean i have i i mean as we were going through this i started sitting down here counting how many people i was with and called in their first bird for them. And um, it, it's really a, a very fun and rewarding process. And in the situation, like the, the relationship that you and I have, I mean, I will tell all the listeners out there that, you know, the student has surpassed the master. Not that I am a master by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, Nick, you've really, really, you know, taken that first little nudge that I gave you and, and turned it into a really successful turkey hunting career? Um, I think it's probably because I just, the more I fail, the harder I try. And I know you're the same way. And I just had so much failure that I just was bound and determined to figure this thing out. And, and, and as I say that, I know there'll be a, there'll be a bird around the corner that'll educate me. I had one in Georgia a couple of years ago that I'm still irritated about that he got the best of me. And I think that's what keeps us slugging away. And, but, it, but again, it was your patience and, and taking me out and having me make those mistakes and, Unfortunately, for getting some of them on film, that we'll have a chance to relive them. But um, yeah, I mean, turkey hunting is. I'm I'm glad that I became more passionate about it. It's fun. It's a great time to be in the woods. You can maybe pick up some antler sheds. Uh, the, the the woods is starting to come alive, and it's usually pretty decent weather for the most part. And it's just a, a great time to get out and enjoy the outdoors. And I, I've probably I know I've fallen 
fallen asleep at the base of a tree a number of times during turkey season, and I'm looking forward to doing that again here this spring. So with that, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. And just as a quick reminder, if you aren't already subscribed to us, please do so on iTunes or Stitcher. You can go to the Apple Store and do that. And you can also find us on the Red Dog Road website at reddogroad.net. You can listen to episodes there and you can, I think I have some links on there that you can subscribe. And with any luck, I'll do a little bit more writing too and get some more articles posted. So again, we appreciate you listening. This is something Mike and I have a a lot of fun doing and we're going to go out and create some more turkey hunting stories that we can share with you down the road. So with that, have a great week, everybody, and we will catch up with you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Red Dog Road Podcast. If you like what you heard here, please consider subscribing and telling your friends. You can also visit the website and blog at reddogroad.net.